to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike to dig into their personal connection to a current or classic release. You can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers. If you can drop us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. This episode, we're talking Saw from 2004, the one of one of the first of many Saw movies. Um, and I'm honored to welcome to the show Lucy Buglass. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited. Yeah, thanks for coming on. So tell people a little bit about who you are and what you have going on. Your your blog, Lucy Goes to Hollywood, and uh, where you know where they can find you. Yeah, of course. So my name's Lucy Buglis. I'm a film critic from the UK. I um, set up my own blog called Lucy Goes to Hollywood in, I believe it was 2017. And since then, you know, I've been lucky to have quite a lot of you know, sort of interest in the blog. I got Rotten Tomatoes approved recently. Very exciting. So yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. So I'm, I'm really um, just sort of, you know, sharing my love of film with kind of like-minded fans. Um, I have a specialist like short film column, that kind of thing. I'm just, I'm just enjoying myself really. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, it's at lucygoestohollywood.com. That's where you can find me. Awesome. So you're, you're really big into horror movies. So when I, when, mm. when we connected about having you on the show, I think you were pretty much dead set on on a horror film. So, what what? is what what is your relationship to the genre? And then we'll talk about the Saw franchise specifically. Sure. So uh, I've always been into horror. It's kind of my mum's fault. Like she's massive (laughs) on the genre. So like as soon as I was old enough, she like showed me all the classics. Um, So I watched like you know Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, all these kind of things. And it was actually Saw that was one of the early ones that she showed me. It was on like a TV show here in the channel, well, the TV channel here in the UK. Um, and we put it on and I really enjoyed it. And I just kind of became a little bit obsessed with it since then. Um, most people will know me as like absolutely loving The Silence of the Lambs. That's my all time favorite. But Saw has also got a special place in my heart, too. Nice. It's funny. Right before we started the call, I told you I went to the drive-in last night to see the New Mutants. On the other screen yeah. behind me was Silence of the Lambs, so, oh, well, which wonderful. is a movie I love, too. So whenever New Mutants was kind of boring, I was like, what's Clarice up to? Turn it around <laughs> <laughs> to see what's going oh, on yeah, there. No, I can watch that so many times and not get bored, honestly. like It's my absolute favorite. Yeah, same. It's a great movie. Uh, mm-hmm. So when did you come across... Well, you said about when you came across the Saw franchise. So what is mm-hmm. it about this series of movies, and you know, I have my own take on this, that that hooks people so much because we'll talk about how the first one is different from what the sequels uh, became and how, you know, I feel like personally, I feel like the sequels are really where the franchise becomes more what, you know, people would traditionally call like torture porn or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't think you, you, if you watch the first one, it's shockingly devoid of, of most of that. Uh, What are your, you know, what's your overall thoughts on the franchise and where the, sequels went getting into uh, Hoffman and, and Amanda mm-hmm. and like all that is basically where his apprentices have apprentices. Mm-hmm. It starts to get really convoluted. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in my personal opinion, I love the first two and then they kind of start to like dip in quality a little bit, mm-hmm. like in my opinion. Um, I loved the first one purely because it was very psychological. It was a very new concept. I think people are very interested in this idea of like, you know, 
people being tested or punished in some way or kind of social experiments you know that that's a big sort of theme in in horror films so that was kind of why the first one did so well i think because all the you know the, the marketing materials was just kind of like oh have you seen saw and it was like very like ambiguous and weird and i think since then they've kind of gone down a very brutal kind of in your face squeamish kind of you know route which is fine um but the first one is very different to the others i would say um and the second one's good too but then it just three onwards is when it gets like so disgusting i think <laughs> when it really ups the ante in, in the gore and i think uh, you know three actually has the, the trap that i felt the most physically sick at <laughs> oh which is that now it's the pig vat one where the oh, lawyers yeah. bring a chain to the floor and they're kind of like shoving pig pig guts on women oh it's horrible <laughs> oh, God, I forgot about that one. <laughs> it's funny because you would have thought that that one's not really that gross because there's not really any blood. There's not really any sort of, you know, cutting anything off. It's, but it's just someone kind of drowning in, in guts. But it's just, oh, yeah. you just look at it and you think, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think three was when they went, do you know what? Let's just really ramp it up and see what we can do. And since then, fans have become used to how far can they push it now, I would say. Yeah, it's yeah. Been- Watching the first one, it's there are um, there's a lot of game. There's a few game scenarios, but you mostly Mm -hmm. see them in the past tense, kind of with the you know the sort of quick editing, like frenetic style that the franchise really embraces going forward. But I was telling my wife because she saw the second one. She watched this one with me. If she'd never seen the first Saw before, she saw the second in theaters. I think like you know on a date or with friends or whatever. And uh, and I was telling her that the the first one has all those game sequences that are like pretty much just flashing back to people like first realizing they're in the situation and then kind of the aftermath, sort of a seven approach to uh, to the the games. Yes, yes, definitely. And. in the I was telling her in the sequels, each of these would be like a five to seven minute sequence of mm-hmm. someone trying to figure their way out of it. And th- yeah, the first one doesn't really get into all of that. And it's funny too because I'm not you like I don't mind gore, you know, but these the sequels got so gratuitous, but I kept going back to see them because mm-hmm. the the psychological aspect that you're mentioning and also there's there's like a soap opera element to it where you're like, oh, man, I have to find out, you know, where Jill <laughs> dropped that that uh, what where, you know, where she was bringing that envelope or what this is about or how these people are connected. I think exactly. Th- is, yeah, that's a big part of it as well, I would say, just with people that fell in love with the first one, just being like, well, I got to ride this out to at least the first seven. You've made a really good point there because you're right. They definitely have overarching sort of themes or, you know, actions that characters do when you're like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, and it's uh and, you know, especially when they introduced, like like you said, Jill, which is John Kramer's wife, you know, obviously, like, that was big. <laughs> um, well, ex-wife. And, yeah, I, I think with, with the Amanda and Hoffman thing, I think people were just kind of, like, curious about how far that would go. Um, I kind of, I liked Amanda in a sense, but I, I personally wasn't really a big fan of Hoffman. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that they hadn't gone down that route, to be honest. I think Amanda, Amanda made sense because, you know, she kind of had, like, the almost, like, Stockholm syndrome you know oh Jigsaw helped me you know almost feeling like she owed him that and she wanted to sort of take care of him whereas I don't I feel Hoffman was a little bit like tagged on do you know what I mean like it just didn't really 
work for me personally. I, right. Plus I find him really annoying as a character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think Amanda's, uh, she's in up till three, right? And then that's it for she her. Is, and then she, and then she dies in three. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you can tell with four spoilers for the Saw franchise, obviously for this whole episode. Uh, mm-hmm. but with four, they, the big twist is that it's running concurrently with three. And I think that was just so they could buy time and figure out what they're going to do now to keep this franchise alive. <laughs> Since, no, exactly. <laughs> since John Kramer's head was cut open at the end of the third one, it's like, all right, so we killed him off. I, I think maybe initially they were sort of, maybe Lee Winnell, who I think, I don't know if he wrote all of I think he wrote the first three. Maybe he was being like, we're going to make this a trilogy. And then mm. the studio was like, yeah, no, we want more. And they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> I guess we have to figure out how to extend this now. Yeah, four onwards is when it starts to really get a little silly, I think. And I think, you know, if you if you check like, you know, kind of any reviews aggregator or any kind of things like that, you will see a, a gradual dip in sort of favorability. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like by the time you get to seven, they're like, come on, guys, like, what, what are you doing? Um, final chapter, I, promise. <laughs> yeah, like they were like, oh, final chapter. And then it wasn't like, yeah, hello, we had Jigsaw. Uh, but no, I think, you know, it's kind of it's become like a spectacle. You know, people just want to go and say it like on the big screen and you know, they've kind of made like amusement parks out of it because we have one here in England um, in Thorpe Park. We have Saw the Ride, um, which is basically this big roller coaster. And then it almost like tips you into like big saw blades. And that's kind of like, you know, the, the thrill of it. Oh, wow. Um, so it's become so heavily franchised now that I think people, like I say, want it for the spectacle. You know, it rolls around every Halloween or, you know, there's always some event going on around it. And, it, you know, it's endearing to a sense. But I do think that the first three had the most substance in terms of like narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it gets a bit silly after that. No wonder you kind of lost interest a little bit in the last latter half, because it was really then the Hoffman show. And it was <laughs> just that like, he was essentially the lead. And it, the whole thing was him pushing the boundaries and just being really sadistic and not even giving people uh, a way out of the game and not mm-hmm. even really teaching lessons and just being like, this is a fun game. I just like kidnap people and then kill them. And that's like my thing uh, on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it becomes really about that. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I think the first three really established something uh, different in the genre. And, and after that, it just kind of loses a little bit. I do. I'm a mild defender of six. I think six is where, the mm-hmm. that sort of macabre sense of humor and uh, the kind of social commentary of the genre or the potential of the genre, it, I think it crystallizes better than any of the other sequels uh, because there is the whole um, there's the whole angle of uh, the health insurance salesman that denied John Kramer yeah. coverage and so I think that's kind of interesting. But yeah, four, five, and seven are easily I think the weakest of the main yeah. seven. And uh, I mentioned to you right before the call that I hadn't seen Jigsaw and you were basically like, don't bother. So what, what is the point of that movie? I guess is my question. Oh my gosh. No, I I've kind of blocked that out of my mind. If I'm <laughs> honest, it's just, I think most people did such a cash grab. And I think it was, I didn't really get it because like, again, they tried to push the boundaries of what they did with the special effects, but there was kind of like one. And if, if listeners have seen this particular scene, they'll know what I mean. Like there's this kind of, big sort of twist at the end and there's this ridiculous trap that just the special effects are so bad that i laughed in the cinema so people probably think i'm an absolute psychopath you know? <laughs> it was just because it was so unbelievable and i just think they were like oh you know let's just revive it for the hell of it and we're not even going to call it saw um like nine or whatever it was or eight you know we're going to call it jigsaw and it's like come on guys like you, you've just really run out of ideas now so <laughs> it's 
I can't really speak very favorably of it and I can't really remember the narrative if I'm quite honest because I just kind of I mean I, I don't own a copy I have the all seven of them except that um because I just don't care <laughs> <laughs> um and I think most Saw fans like panned it they were like this is awful like what were you doing um I mean once again uh Tobin Bell who plays John Kramer like he's in it for a split second and like if it wasn't for him it would just be crap you know I think he can save any Saw film because <laughs> as an actor he's fantastic I love him I think he makes the franchise, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, I, I do too. I, I, and I think that's part of probably why the sequels fell off, because he's in it less and less, because he dies mm-hmm. at the end of three. Uh, but I think his performance, his voice alone... Oh, uh, God, I know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they he did... I used to watch uh, The Flash on the CW, and he did, like... He voiced a villain for, like, the first half of a season oh, or something. Wow. And and um, that just brought, like, a, a new level of gravitas to the CW. Uh, but his performance in these movies, which is, like I said, mostly a voice performance, is mm-hmm. easily puts him in the pantheon of, of, you know, the big horror icons, the Freddies, the Jasons, the Michael Myers and stuff. Oh, 100%. Mm. And I think, like you said, I, I think that really comes down to his performance. If you had a lesser actor in that role, I think you just, I, I don't think it would be nearly as compelling. You need to not necessarily sympathize with Jigsaw, obviously, because what he's doing is is obviously screwed up. But mm-hmm. but you need to understand him and sort of understand, like, in his perverse mind that that where he's coming from, that he thinks he's, like, sort of a missionary of sorts. Yeah, he does. And I think, you know, in terms of, you know, if if we're going to look at sort of villain motives and like serial killer motives, I would argue that his is probably one of the strongest Mm -hmm. in terms of how he feels like he's been, you know, wronged by the world around him. And he's like, oh, well, I've been a hard work and law abiding citizen. Why did I deserve this? And it's, you know, it's the big argument about you guys are messing around and doing horrible things to each other and yourselves. Why do you deserve life? That's kind of his ethos almost. You know, he wants to challenge that. He wants to go, oh, well, you know. I'm going to give you a, like a second chance, you know, almost like a, a rebirth, like a redemption um, in his own twisted mind. And I think, you know, in, in some ways we are encouraged to sympathize with him in a very uncomfortable way, <laughs> you know, because if you look at things like, um, I believe it's in Saw 4 when you find out that they lost the baby. Mm, I think that's yeah, I think vaccine. so. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, you, you do start to feel sorry for him, to be honest, but you feel uncomfortable because you're like, you shouldn't be doing this, but I, I, I'm I, sorry what, about what happened to you, you know? Um, and you're right about his voice. I think his voice alone, especially in the first film, because you have that, you know, that wonderful big reveal, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Oh, yeah. um, so you don't see him really in the film. <laughs> um, it's only in Saw 2 when he really, you know, he sat there like talking to the detective. You don't really see him in the first film. So the fact that he managed to captivate audiences with just his voices is wonderful. It really is. Yeah, I think that's this is a that's a perfect segue into into talking mm-hmm. about the first film because it does play so much like a uh, a mystery or a procedural uh, kind of mashed together with the slasher movie in a way. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's transition into our discussion of the first Saw movie from two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Here's a little bit of the trailer right now. <laughs> Speaking, he's not really a murderer. He never killed anyone. Dr. Gordon, your aim in this game is to kill Adam. If you do not, then Diana will die. He finds ways for his victims to kill themselves. 
I'm sick of people who don't appreciate their blessings. I've given you a life purpose. Looks like our friend Jigsaw likes to book himself front row seats to his own sick games. He doesn't want us to cut through our chains. He wants us to cut through our feet. Most people are so ungrateful to be alive. Not anymore. That was a little bit of the trailer for Saw from 2004, directed by James Wan. And this was obviously the beginning of James Wan's directorial career and features. Uh, this was the beginning of his partnership with Lee Whannell, who's now directing his own movies. Like, so much. Like, without Saw, we wouldn't have The Conjuring. We wouldn't have Insidious. We wouldn't have uh, Upgrade, The Invisible Man. Like, all these sort mm-hmm. of offshoots that really developed from that core friendship uh, and that partnership that the two men have. So what do you think, what is it about either Juan or Wanell that you think uh, they bring to the genre that has really made their work stand out over the last, I guess, you know, 16 years? I think they're both very unique. And I, it's funny you should mention Upgrade because I only watched that recently and I was completely blown away because it was very different to everything else that Lee Wanell's done. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, futuristic sci-fi and just the, you know, the sort of the very physical way the actor sort of, you know, moved. And it was it was a masterpiece. I absolutely loved it. Um, but it's very different from his earlier stuff. And, you know, especially especially Saw, which he starred in as well. Um, and I just think I I'm really in awe of how they've worked together and both and like both worked together and improved over the past few years. You know, like you, the quality of their work, in my opinion, has got better which is great. Yeah. <laughs> and then you have James Wan and obviously he's created like the conjuring, which I think is absolutely terrifying. Um, and he did, you know, um, all the Annabelle spinoffs and she's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just think that they've got such a unique voice and, you know, every horror fan, you know, you'll name them and they'll be like, Oh yeah, we, we know those guys, you know? And I think it, it's because of so, but what, what they, what they did was they, they thought of new and unique ideas. And, and yes, you know, the conjuring was franchised and, and so was insidious. But, you know, saw it was very different to the rest of their stuff. So it was nice to see them try new things, you know, kind of embrace horror on a different level, both supernatural and the real human horror. And yeah, I've loved it. I've loved watching their work grow. Yeah, it's it's gotten to the point now that uh, James Wan is the the guy behind Aquaman, and you know, he directed a fa- he directed a Fast he and Furious movie. Like he's a blockbuster yeah. director now, and that's crazy. Because yes. <laughs> I'm not that big on superhero films, but I did give it a watch. Yeah, I it was. All- was it was a decent film? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah, it's it's total obviously again totally different than uh, the one point two million dollar budget it saw <laughs> when you have like CG oh, yeah. uh, octopus <laughs> playing drums and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, just a testament to I think their talents and how they've sort of yeah. uh, blown up over the last fifteen years. And Lee Whannell's only directed I think three features: uh, one of the Insidious sequels, uh, mm-hmm. Upgrade, and then uh, and then the Invisible Man. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to speak to, let's see, I mentioned the the balance of the procedural and slasher elements. So what I love about this movie is that right from the beginning, uh, it, it starts with something, you know, there's something primal about waking up and having no idea where you are. So like right from the right from the very first frame, which, by the way, gives away the fact that the key was down the drain. I oh, think people uh, yes, always forget I, that. <laughs> the what? I always love that on a rewatch. I'm always like, "Ooh!" <laughs> <Oops."> <laughs> he gave you know, away the, literally the key to, to their escape right there, and um, yep, nobody mm-hmm. sees it. So yeah, so we wake up in the uh, in the now iconic bathroom, which shows up in I think at least two or three of the sequels, uh, you know, sporadically. 
what is it about, I, I guess, I, I really love this opening because we are thrust in the same situation as Dr. Lawrence Gordon and uh, Adam. Now, we have no idea what the hell's going on. They're in, like, the nastiest bathroom of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this whole, like, that set has become so iconic that, of course, at the end of Saw, the final chapter, not the Saw, not really the final chapter, they should call it, um, mm. <laughs> that, that we end up right back there. Um, yes. What is it about that set and that, like this sequence? It, it feels like we we spend probably two thirds or at least half the runtime in a bathroom, which from a uh, filmmaking perspective is genius because all you need is two actors in a, a nasty room uh, and you can make a movie. Uh, what is, I think that's something different also that none of the sequels really gets because they really take you way more into the, into the, the world. And I, there's a sense of isolation that the first movie, uh, that is unique to the first film. Yeah, totally. I think it plays on the sort of the one location element of horror, you know, obviously I appreciate, you know, you have scenes in, you know, the hospital and scenes in like Dr. Gordon's house and scenes in, um, the police station, but you're right. For the most part, it's in this horrible bathroom. And I think you're right. It's the sense of entrapment but not only that you're trapped in this horrible unsanitary weird location like you know you can almost like smell how horrible it is you know like when you kind of your senses you watch it and you're like oh geez you know <laughs> not the kind of place you'd want to be um and it's kind of it's almost like humiliating to the characters to have them chained to pipes in this disgusting bathroom and they're just sort of freaking out and there's that weird sense of like voyeurism watching them like try to figure out what they're doing um and i think a lot of horror fans are very interested in sort of the human condition and watching people in sort of social experiments and i i am too i think that's really interesting uh and i just think the bathroom now like you say has become so iconic because it's so disgusting it's horrible and it's where lawrence obviously cuts his foot off in 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 one of the most horrible scenes in in the entire film um but no i think as a set, I absolutely love it. I just think it's so cool, so gross. And if I could visit it, I would like to. <laughs> I think they... Not, not I would like to see it, but I wouldn't want to get to <laughs> Yeah, you don't want to use the facilities. Um, no, no. <laughs> I'm in Florida and, and here at Universal Studios, they've done, you know, Halloween Horror Nights. And they've had, I saw it as one of the... I haven't gone because I, that, I just haven't gotten a chance to. But they have had, I think, the Saw, like a Saw haunted house. And I'm pretty sure the bathroom was part of that. So people have, they have recreated it in real life. Oh, wow. I would love to see that. It's, I'm not sure if in, in real life I'd have the guts to go in, though, because <laughs> I, I assume they'd have, like, scare actors and stuff. You know, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> but... And, and they yeah. really they really play up the, the the nastiness of the room too. There's a scene where mm -hmm. um, Adam has to like look in the toilet for something, and then checks yep. the back. It's like I wish I had checked there first. There's something about Winnell has sort of a, a, a the dark sense of humor that I think leaks through this movie in certain spots as well. Yeah, definitely. I think you know his character starts off as being very sarcastic, very sort of jokey. I think he says something about like, "Oh, c can you see any scars? Have they taken my kidneys or something?" Mm -hmm. And and yeah. then and then Lawrence is like, oh, um, if you if your kidneys weren't there, you'd be um, in agony or or you'd be dead. Trust me, I know or something. So so there's very you know there's a very different dynamic between the two men. One's very cold and clinical, and one's a lot more animated, hysterical, and sarcastic. And I think um, Carrie Elwes and um, Lee Winnell really kind of bounce off each other, and I I, I love their interactions. I think they're fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I do too. And it, I, it occurred to me, you mentioned the voyeurism aspect of the movie, and I feel like that's something that the sequels include, but not 
emphasize as much. There's a line mm-hmm. in here that obviously it's revealed later in the movie that Adam was watching Dr. Gordon at the yep. behest of, uh, we found out, find out detective tap, which yep. we'll get into more later, but there's a line where he talks about like what, what I saw, blah, 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 whatever. And I, and I, I, maybe I'm dense for not getting this, but that never occurred to me the double meaning of saw as in something you witnessed and also jigsaw killer and also the saw that he cuts his hand. Like it's, it works on multiple levels and I never connected that the voyeurism aspect to the title. Is that something that you've known from the get go? Am I just dense or, or what's the deal there? Do you know what? Like that's blown my mind <laughs> because I, I knew that it was a voyeurism thing, but then you've said that saw could be a double meaning. You're absolutely right. I never considered that. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to pretend I came up with that now. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome to take that. Um, but then people listen to the podcast and I'll be exposed, so I won't do that. That's true, yeah. Uh, but no, I think I think you're right. Certainly the title of Saw in, in itself, you know, a slight diversion, but it's a very strange meaning. Like, like what does it mean? <laughs> you know, like you're watching people, there's a Saw on the floor, he's called Jigsaw. It's a very, it's a very interesting title, I think so. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so it's I, part of the appeal. I, I, yeah, I, I love that aspect of it too. That it, there's real um, intelligence behind this story. That on its face, you, you know, a lot of people I think dismiss this one as they do the sequels and beings like we sort of mentioned torture porn or like oh that's just you know that's just you know a bunch of gore and there's not really a story or or whatever yeah. to it i think this movie proves them wrong uh, i think the sequels yeah. you know maybe increasingly prove them right as they go on by the time you get to seven you're just like i don't even know what's happening but there's like a bunch of blood splattering everywhere uh but mm-hmm. sure let's let's do that the, the big selling point i think for me for a lot of people with seven was the return of carrie always which i i feel like yeah. we should mention that in a second but there's something about Mm -hmm. this one with the bathroom element that i feel like is this is this sort of the original escape room because now i don't know (laughs) if it's like that in the uk but in the u.s here every plaza like every like shopping center plaza where you know where there's like you know restaurants and shops and things like there's an escape room everywhere there's so many of them you can buy groupons to go in escape room and i feel like this movie started that trend because I don't think I was really familiar with that as a phenomenon until like the last few years. No, we've certainly jumped on it as well. You can sort of like book sort of, um, you know, different themed escape rooms, whether right. it's like horror or sci-fi or, or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not quite sure where the trend has come from. If I'm honest, I know we had the escape room movie that came out a few months ago, yes, um, yes. which w- wasn't the best, but you know, uh, but I, I think you're right that, that this idea of someone having to get out of a place has kind of been birthed by saw in a way. Um, and obviously kind of escape is futile at this point. Cause as we know, upon rewatching that, that key is gone now. So, you know, you can't get out. Um, and you know, you kind of, you're, you're spending a lot of the film looking at the saw thing and this is not for the chains is it <laughs> oh i love you know, that like line this, yeah yeah oh god <laughs> that's a classic line the the uh he doesn't he wants us to cut through our feet yeah uh, yeah mm-hmm. and then that's that goes back to the the moral conundrum the sort of the life lessons that jigsaw is teaching people is like okay you you want you know most people are so ungrateful to be alive he says like how much are you willing to put yourself through in order to serve how much are you willing to suffer to learn that lesson so that you can you know survive and go on with your life and i guess be recruited as one of my apprentices is kind of his thing um <laughs> 
but yeah, I, I love that aspect of it because it puts you in, it's the classic after movie conversation. Like, oh, I don't know. What would you do? It. What would you do if you were put in that situation? Would you, would you have the guts to cut through your feet or would you just be like, I'm going to hang out here and try and fi- find an escape, even though like, t- you know, time is a factor as well. So I, I really, there's, there's that, the psychological aspect of it. There's, the, it's basically half a, a kind of CSI episode. Mm-hmm. When we bounce out of the bathroom and we have Danny Glover and uh, Ken uh, Ken Lung uh, mm-hmm. sorting sorting through the the mystery of of Jigsaw, let's talk a little bit about that side of it and how how much more interesting the cop side is in this one compared to the other ones. Is that just because it's Danny Glover? What is it about <laughs> the cop side that makes it, I think, more compelling this time around? I think it's compelling because there's clearly a lot of sort of backstory and detective tap in the sense that he's become obsessed with this case now to an unhealthy level. And it's about sort of, you know, the, the, the disgruntled cop that like really wants to track down this killer, but hasn't got a clue who he is. And it's, yeah, it, it kind of, it focuses more on, on why the cop's interested in Jigsaw rather than, oh, this is the law and we kind of have to do our job, you know. Um, and, it, you know, this is, a, he's got like a personal sort of vendetta against this guy. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think you're right. It kind of plays like a sort of really gritty CSI episode or some kind of like crime drama rather than a straight up horror, yeah. which is very different from the others because there's not a lot of, of gore in it comparatively to the others. I mean, you know, you, you, you do have certain, you know, bits like you say, the really fast cutting when you see the guy, I've completely forgotten names, but the, the guy who has to, you know, um, kind of go through the razor maze to try and find things, you know, but, and you know what's happened, but you don't say it. <laughs> right. And, and I think it was just cool having the context behind the, the cops and why they had such a, a, a deep interest in, in Jigsaw. Yeah, this um, one's... I don't see a Danny Glover, yes, like you said. So <laughs> that helps, it helps. Uh, yeah. This one's a lot more about the people than the carnage. I think the only... Yeah shot that we really get that I kind of warned my wife about because she doesn't really like she's not really into the gore stuff or or even horror generally and except for when I'm like let's watch this one she's like okay um mm-hmm. is the the intestines shot the the part with yeah. Amanda where she's kind of digging through to find the key that's really the only shot that's extremely you know that's even even mo- moderately graphic I'd say because everything else happens so fast that you don't see the detail or it's um, it's like even the the obviously the famous foot slicing scene. You sort of see him start blood kind of starts to to pour out, and then you mm-hmm. cut away, and then it's just all Lee Wanell screaming. Uh, it, it's very much reminded me of something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in that way that you're like, oh my gosh, it's so violent, it's so graphic, or Psycho, but mm-hmm. you don't really see any of that on screen. It's all implied, and that, in that way, that I feel like that makes it scarier because. It, it, you kind of imagine how visceral uh, that, you know, that really is. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, if, if they just straight up showed the foot cut and I don't think it would be as intense. But you, like you say, you you cut from Lee Winnell screaming and suddenly he's, you know, the more caring one doesn't want him to do that. And, you know, um, Dr. Gordon's become a lot more unhinged. And, you know, you kind of got the, the close up of like his face and like, you know, he's kind of biting onto his shirt. Um, thing that he's ripped off and he's screaming and he's got blood everywhere and i think it's the implication that's the scary thing like you say because your brain naturally takes you to oh god it, it, it puts images in your head and i think that's where the other souls are lacking they, they don't allow the audience to make up their own mind about what's going on you know um because when i first watched that scene my brain was like oh man i can imagine what that looks like <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i think yeah it's just a much more effective way of doing it 
I, I agree. Uh, I wanted to go back to Detective Tap for a second, too, because we were talking about how he obsesses over the case. You get a little bit of a, a, a surprise throat slit, which reminded me very much of, mm. of The Invisible Man, where there's a, a very yes. pivotal moment there, which I don't want to give yes. away for people. Uh mm. That that played similarly. I, I, I you know I think the Invisible Man went slightly more effective just because it does come out of nowhere and then oh, the, Michael, the, yeah. <laughs> the direct aftermath, which that's a movie I love. That's absolutely one of my favorite movies of the year, uh, mm-hmm. and I think Elizabeth Moss should be in the awards conversation. Whether that will happen, I mean <laughs> we're in the fall and there's been very few movies released, so maybe I'd say she has a better maybe. chance now. Uh, but I I love the part with the the detective tap storyline that the timeline is a little bit nebulous on purpose that you mm-hmm. don't really understand that he's a disgraced cop and all that until later on when Gordon is filling us in because we just get highlights and you know we don't realize it's a little bit of the trick that they play later on in more uh, in a more massive scale with software where you don't realize how the timeline is playing out exactly. Mm-hmm. And you you think that maybe this is more concurrent than it actually is. And it's like, oh, no, he got disgraced. He was abandoned from the, you know, he left the police force. Like, you know, um, he he's like kind of on his own thing, like with a vendetta against Jigsaw now. He's hiring, hiring, uh, you know, Adam to go and, and follow follow Gordon around and prove that he is Jigsaw because he's because he's like fixated on it. So I love yep. that the, this this franchise and uh, this movie obviously establishes that it's constantly toying with our expectations on when what we're seeing is actually happening. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's very clever. And I think when you find out how the two men are connected, like you said, Adam was paid to take pictures of Gordon and Gordon was having an affair with the secretary. Um, or no, sorry, medical student. I think it was medical student. Anyway, it was somebody that you work with. Right. Um, but, but the point is like, um, Adam, you know, when, when the truth comes out, I think Gordon is very, very hurt by this because he's aware of who Tap is. And he's aware of Tap's obsession with him. You know, we, we see a scene when he comes into the office and like interrogates him about it. And he's like, is this your, is this your pen? Like your pen light? Um, and it just becomes, you know, he's, he almost just wants to close the case, I think, for his own sanity. Mm-hmm. He just, but he's, he's way off. He's way, way off, you know. And I think you do have certain shots of John Kramer in hospital as well, which obviously when you realize that it's him, you're like, oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of clever reveals in the first saw which I think a lot of people forget about the big reveal at the end, of course, of, of uh, mm-hmm. the body being John Kramer and that whole thing. Like I had mentioned to my wife that what the twist was, cause I was like, you don't like these movies. You're never going to see it. She <laughs> knew that that was the, the, the twist at the end, but then the, the storytelling in the movie is so good. And so makes such a, uh, it's such a case for Zepp being uh, played by Michael Emerson from lost. Uh, mm-hmm. That he, they make such a case that he is actually Jigsaw that my wife was watching it and like in the last act she's like, oh well, I guess they must recast for the sequels or something. That I'm like just sitting there tight lipped, waiting for John Kramer to stand up in that bathroom. Uh, and, and I think that's that's a testament to how engrossing the story is and how meticulously crafted and laid out it all is. The fact that that my wife who knew the ending, forgot the end, like was convinced by the movie that she had the wrong ending uh, just because of uh, because of the, the, the different twists and turns and misdirects. Yeah, no, for sure. I think um, that was a massive reveal for me. Obviously, I, I, I didn't know that, that you know, that, that reveal was going to happen. The supposed dead body. Yeah, no, neither did I. I, I saw the first one, I, I think 
it's probably soon after the second one was out because the second one was a much bigger deal. Obviously, the first one was kind of the breakthrough. And mm-hmm. then the sequel, I think, is still the highest grossing one in the franchise. Uh, yeah. So once that came out and everybody was talking about this franchise, I was like, well, I guess I should watch the first one. So I rented the first one on, uh, I guess, DVD at that point. And um, and yeah, so I, I was totally blown away. I mean, it, it's a complete game changer for the genre. And even watching it now... I, I got chills at the final scene when he stands up. And I think the Charlie yeah. Clauser uh, score is a big part of that. Oh, it's so good. Yes. It, Such I, a good moment. Con- the, his music contributes so much to this whole franchise, really. But obviously, particularly that that big reveal at the end. Uh, yeah. I I think we got it. We have to talk about the Amanda part of it as well, because essentially the, the the movie is based on a short film from 2003, also titled Saw, where it sounds like it's it's basically Amanda's story kind of pulled as a standalone. I think it was a, it was a male character at that point, but it sounds like they basically um, integrated that into this uh, this movie, which is which would explain why Amanda's game is the one that we see the most of. Uh, but it also establishes so much, like it's enti- so hugely pivotal for everything that comes next, not only in the second one where she's revealed to be uh, the apprentice, but also the reverse bear trap, which becomes, a, again, another piece of iconography from this franchise. So mm-hmm. let, let's talk about the the Amanda sequence a little bit. Yeah, um, off the back of the fact that it was a short film, I believe it was... Lee Winnell's like playing a character and I can't remember if it was called Adam or not, but he was the one that had the trap originally. Okay, there you go. And then obviously they decided to to make it Amanda. And I think that sort of contraption when you first see it is like the most, oh my God thing, like what on earth is this? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And again, it's a great use of implying but not showing because obviously as we know, Amanda gets it off her head, but Jigsaw demonstrates what would happen if she didn't. And it's kind of your brain goes, oh, no, <laughs> you know, it's called a reverse bear trap for a reason. It would literally rip your skull open. Right. Um, and, you know, again, it puts the horrible image in your head. And we don't see it in use until. I oh, think which film is it? Six. six? We, we see it at the end of six. But Hoffman gets out of it sort of at the last second. And he just gets like part of his mouth ripped. Uh, yeah. Like, yeah. And then seven is when Jill does, you know, does not escape. That's it, yeah. But you know, we've t- there's been that many films, like between then, where we haven't actually seen it in action, and it, and I'm kind of divided on that because I'm like, did I want to see it or did I want it to be like implied for the rest of the franchise? But you know, I guess they had to bring it back. Well, that's the difference between the first one and the sequels. Like you said, they don't leave anything to the imagination in the sequels. It They're just like, <laughs> like, oh, you want pig guts? Here you go. You yeah, want to see yeah. people's like twisted or like there's also in the third one, there's the one that really sticks out in my mind, too, is uh, that guy that's on the rack and it's just like twisting an arm, twisting oh, a leg, yeah. twisting it. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, really, dude? <laughs> so much yeah. of that. Um, <laughs> it gets to be. Yeah, it gets to be not even it's not even scary at that point. It's just disturbing to watch and seemingly with no real, you know, I don't know, point, <laughs> no real like there's no reason behind it. It's just for shock value's sake, I guess. And, and I yeah. feel in the first one, they use it, you know, they they use it sparingly enough that when you do see something, it is horrific. And like you said, they they don't they don't go out of their way to focus on the details because anything that we imagine is is going to be is going to be more horrific. Plus, there's the, the element that this movie uh, establishes that 
he's the jigsaw killer, but technically he's never really killed anyone. So you have that other aspect that makes him different from your Freddy's and Jason's and Michael Myers and Leatherface's and all of them that he's just putting you in a situation. It's, he just, he just sets you up. He's like, this is what you have to do. If you want to let choice one, <laughs> you, you do this, whatever horrific thing it is to yourself, clawing through your eyes or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to, so you can get this key. So whatever, so you can li- live and be grateful that you're alive without your limb or whatever part of you, you had to sacrifice or you let it rip you to rip you apart. And then I guess you didn't want to really want to be in life in the, uh, in the first place is how he sees it. So he's like, I just put him in the situation uh, from there. It's up to, it's up to them. What happens? Yeah, of course. It's. I think he says something very similar to that in Saw 2. He says something like, I never killed anyone. Like, you know, they made the choice or so, something like that. Um, and I think, you know, it's it's a real example of sort of this... Because you are sort of encouraged to feel sorry for Amanda, you know. Yes, she was a, a drug user and yes, she was, you know, what Jigsaw considered to be ungrateful or, or whatever it was. And, you know, she's very traumatized by what's happened to her, but she's also weirdly grateful because she keeps saying he helped me mm-hmm. and that's a very like not only has jigsaw like forced her to you know stab a guy in in the guts and, and get this key out of him um while he's still alive <laughs> but you know he's also broken her mind in the sense that she now believes that what he's doing is is a moral thing and i think the psychological damage is as bad as the physical to be honest yeah because Amanda, she she becomes awful like when, when we see her again in, in the third film. You know, she's very, very psychopathic in, in the third film. But in a way, you're kind of like, it's not your fault you're like this. <laughs> you know, you were, you were conditioned to be like this. Mm-hmm. And I think she's a very, very interesting character in the first. The first film does it well when it kind of splices the um, reverse bear trap scene with her sort of um, police interrogation. Because it, it makes it more human. You know, like you were saying earlier, like sometimes the characters exist to just be ripped up, whereas I think Amanda had a lot of substance behind her. Yeah, she can, she contributes a lot to to us understanding the motive of Jigsaw, the uh, the goal, what his object, what his real objective is. Like in his, in, if he had it his way, people would all of his survivors would be like like Amanda. They would have that same kind of attitude. And yes, there's a certain level of psychological damage there but he's he's coming from such a place of moral superiority that mm-hmm. he you know he's got he was diagnosed with inoperable cancer and so his thing is a teaching people how to how to appreciate being alive right so because of that he he feels like he he's on a high horse that he can see dr gordon struggling with his marriage and you know it's unclear if he ha- has an affair because he says that he didn't like he like he got to that point where he was meeting her and then he was like i can't do this or whatever mm-hmm. but you know and, and i think that's also so the movie can split our sympathies between uh dr gordon and also understanding jigsaw's uh game or the point of jigsaw's game uh, but you know, he's also making these moral judgments on people who are struggling, just trying to do the best they can, just trying to cope. And, and there's that element of it too, where you're like, well, who the hell says, who's, why are you get to judge other people? Yeah, this is what he's doing. It's not right, but it's not your, you know, he's basically playing God. And that's a very dangerous route to take. On the one hand, he believes he's doing, you know, it's, he calls it his work, I think in the, in the sequels, yeah. uh, but on the other hand, it's like, well, that's not your place to teach people things. It's it's a very murky and yet fascinating uh, 
psychology behind the character. And like you said, much more than uh, than a lot of the other uh, slasher villains or horror icons. And, and um, I think it works best when the, there are characters that we actually spend time with and get to know and understand instead of, you know, the sequels where it's just like, oh, this is a random person. You did this <laughs> thing and now you're going to pay. And, and we're just like, uh, OK, uh, sure, I, I guess this is what we're doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, certainly the first again, I would say the first three encourage the audience to sort of make their own mind up about the character. And it's like. Right. Almost like you're the one making judgment. You know, you kind of think, you know, I think the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, Dr. Gordon's scum, whatever, blah, blah. But then I've kind of like sat on it and I've thought, you know, obviously I don't condone affairs at all. But right. but you're, you're right. We, we don't know if he did that. We don't know if he got there and thought it was a mistake or if something else had happened. We don't know the full story. We're just making judgment based on what Jigsaw has sort of given us. And it's the same with Adam. Like Adam is described as like a bottom feeder and whatever, but we don't really fully understand Adam's character. So like like you said, who are we to fully judge what they're doing? You know, and, and it puts you in, an, in a very uncomfortable position where you're sort of like, you know, do you really deserve this, man? I mean, we all make mistakes. You know, I've made mistakes. Do I deserve, you know, that? It's sort of, you know, you, you almost rank Jigsaw's victims and how much they deserved it. I find. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, especially later on when we have we have the bare minimum information to go on, mm-hmm. and, and and you're right. The movies do this, this one especially does make you sort of weirdly complicit in yeah. in what's going on, uh, and it speaks to you know the dark side of human nature. That's kind of what horror movies do best, right? Shedding a light on 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 the like like fucked up little corners of everybody's mind and the way we act and the way we see things and how that could be twisted, uh, and per, you know, perverted enough to change somebody's outlook to, to think that they can teach every people life lessons by putting them in these horrific situations. Uh, and you know, that's kind of a thing that runs through the movies that nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. I mean, uh, tap has the whole, you know, the line where he's talks, uh, talking to, um, talking to Gordon and dropping off at his home, I think. And he says something like the sewer lines run under this neighborhood too, doctor, which, which again is sort of a, you know, we've all got secrets. We've all got darkness and that, that kind of thing. And I, and I like, I love that element of it too. Cause it makes you, it, it makes you see things in a little bit of a different light. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, if I remember correctly, Dr. Gordon does show a little bit of contempt towards tap because he is a medical intern as well, I believe. Or, 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 or no, he works. Sorry, he's an orderly. He's an orderly. He works in the hospital. And I, and I don't think Dr. Gordon treated him with much respect. So mm-hmm. Tap kind of has a little bit of a vendetta against, sorry, not Tap. Zep, yeah. Um, yeah. Zep, Zep, sorry, yes. He has a bit of a vendetta against him also. So, you know, but there's a lot of complex relationships going on here um, in terms of sort of who blames who for what and who's related to who in what sense, you know. And it's it's a very clever web of sort of um, blaming and, and relationships and that kind of thing. And especially in in the bathroom itself, that relationship sort of uh, evolves from, oh, I'm in the, who are you? Did, how did we get here? Oh, we're both in this situation. I woke up the same as you, blah, blah, blah. We need to work together. And then the sort of mistrust that uh, that Jigsaw sort of instigates with the, you know, don't believe Adam's lies. And, and Adam hold, keeps the photo and hides it. And, you know, he has the... He has all of the all of the photos that he took that were planted in the back of the toilet, uh, all that stuff. Like it's, it, it it he turns them against each other yeah. and tests them to the point that you know they that at one point they he he tries and I forgot I'd forgotten about this angle. He tries to uh, he considering 
poisoning at him and then instead sort of plays it off as like, look, I did it. I killed him uh, with mm-hmm. the poison cigarette. And then, of course, the electrocution, which, again, sort of that that dark sense of humor that I feel like Lee Winnell brings to it. He's like, ah, he's like, what did you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, I did the, I got electrocuted. It's like that. Um, it's got like sort of a literal jolt of memory, even though we know, obviously, he was has been lying from the beginning that uh, that's when it starts to come out. He's like, I know who you are. I followed you and all that. Uh, the, their relationship, I think, is really interesting in that it's the the sinner and the you know the person who's basically compl- uh, exposing his sins I, and i and i love that sort of uh i don't know cause and effect the, like the sort of consequences that uh, that gordon is facing in that in that moment yeah and you're right about their relationship it's very turbulent and obviously they start to blame each other and get very aggressive and you know obviously their kind of mistrust for each other teamed with um, Gordon's inability to eventually reach the form that he's provided with to contact his family is the catalyst for what happens. Um, and, and I think both, both actors play it very well because you would start to, you know, distrust the person you're with. You're like, well, you've been taking pictures of me. So like, how can I trust you? And who the hell are you? And, you know, obviously that's what Jigsaw wanted. You wanted to see how they would respond. They're like lab rats, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. And and I I um I think there are moments in Elway's and Winnell's performances that are a little bit rough. I think you can <laughs> you can tell certain moments when where uh Winnell or Elway's like doesn't quite sell the moment. I think I don't I don't yeah. think Elway's is as good as at playing distraught or like, you know, when he finds the pictures and he's like sad and upset about his family. I don't think he plays that nearly as well. But one of yeah. the things that I've seen is some people uh, critiquing his acting in the last scene, in his last scene, when he is, when his leg has been cut off and he's like, I have to go save my family, that kind of thing. I actually think it's great acting because yeah. he's supposed to be in shock. He's literally bleeding all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, his, how, how like pale his, his, his face gets. And I, oh. I think that's very, uh, it's, it's a very uh, intense, intense is not a strong enough word for it. It's a very intense moment though. Um, that he finally snaps and uh, shoots Adam, and uh, the, the, you know we didn't really talk too much about the kidnapping aspect. You sort of mentioned it—that his mm. wife and, and daughter were kidnapped, and we see flashbacks to his his uh, interactions with them. And yep. uh, I, I like also just jumping back for that to that for a second. There's that moment where he's putting his daughter to bed, and uh, no, he's doing he's doing work, and his daughter's like, "Oh, I had a bad, you know, there's a man in my room." That kind of thing. And the movie sets it up that he's going to be like, oh, I'm busy. Go away. That mm. kind of thing. And he's going to be like, I feel so bad. I ignored my daughter. And instead, it continued. He closes his laptop. He's like, and I'm done. Let's go. And he's like being a good dad. So again, yeah. to sort of put you on his side, the movie the movie messes with you as far as what your allegiance is going to be. And like you said, how how you're you're seeing these people. Like if you are, you know, if you are hoping that they're going to get out of there or if you're like, no, this guy is a bottom feeder. This guy is, you know, a cheat and, and a, you know, a, a terrible person. It, it, it sort of switches back and forth on you so that you never really know 100% where you stand until the end. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it, it's good that you mentioned the performance when he's sort of, you know, like he's cut his foot off and, you know, shot Adam because that scene's very pivotal for me because... You know, they're kind of almost weirdly like embracing each other and Adam's like, don't leave me. Yeah. And then it's like, I have to I have to get help. And then they're crying. And that that's such a, a humanizing moment because you realize in that moment that these people are 
at their most vulnerable, they're clueless, they don't know what they're going to do. And they've spent all this time heckling each other. And now they're crying at each other and being like, please don't leave me. And it's 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 a really heartbreaking scene, mm-hmm. actually. I think it was played really well. Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. I yeah. think so, too. Uh, I, I, we didn't even mention so far the uh, the jigsaw puppet, which is... Oh, how did I, we've got to 54 <laughs> minutes and I haven't mentioned it. I know. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm as impressed as you are. Uh, the puppet obviously is like the... Yes. the for back of a better term, face of Jigsaw. Uh, you know, we have the, the, the Michael Myers mask and all these people have their, like mm-hmm. their image. That's the Jigsaw image. Uh, and it's the little puppet on the tricycle. Uh, there's something just creepy about puppets, I guess, first oh, of all, yeah. but, but the fact that not only is it a puppet, but it's like, a, it's a puppet on a tricycle, not unlike the one my daughter has, uh, except smaller, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I love that. I love that that is the way that he uh, he kind of um, communicates with his victims is the puppets. And I think that there is even an explanation for the puppets in in one of the sequels. I forget. I think there is something where he comes across the puppet and you're like, oh, that's how he got the puppet or something. Oh, and- yes. So he made it for his unborn child, yes. which is terrifying you when go. you think about it. That's I mean, look worse. at it. <laughs> that's <laughs> no, thank you. Like, it's horrible. Um and I think he called it Billy or something. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. But but yes, when you find out it was supposed to be a child's toy, I was like, my God, <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> that's even darker than I than I remember. Yeah. Uh, and then so there's the puppets. We mentioned the reverse bear trap. I'm just trying to think of like all the like hallmarks of this franchise. The reverse bear trap, obviously Tobin Bell, the the puppets and the pig masks, which again are really freaky and uh and impressive in a in a startling way uh i don't think there's any like hidden origin story for the pig masks but they uh that's essentially what his followers wear throughout the franchise i think if i remember correctly i'm trying to go back in the sequels in my head um his first victim he pursued on chinese new year and it was the heir of the pig i believe uh, okay. so, we, so we picked up a mask from a stall to like apprehend him i think of course, of course, they they covered that. It's, it's eight movies; they had to get it, there. Eventually. It's ridiculous, yeah, I know, because they, they had to be like, oh well, let's just explain the pig, you know, some filler, some yeah. filler there. But uh, it's creepy without an explanation, though, to be honest. Yeah, I think the the pig mask is creepy without the explanation. I think the the puppet is creepier with the explanation, <laughs> uh, and also, yeah, I mean, there's there's something there's so something so specific about that puppet you're like there has to be some kind of intentionality there he mm-hmm. doesn't just walk in and be like yeah i want that puppet with the spiral <laughs> spirals on its cheeks um so uh let's see we mentioned the performances we mentioned uh i like the detective tap is danny glover playing a cop again and he's still he's still too old for this shit with like sort of a lethal weapon thing going on yeah. uh, so i thought that was funny the um the the fact when time is up and uh, Zepp goes in there to to kill uh, Gordon's uh, family. And we got Monica Potter, who is huge in Hollywood for like two years. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that, that overlapped with this movie's release uh, that she's manages to escape. So you, that character finally has a little bit of an agency. There's not really any female presence in this movie, minus uh, minus his Gordon's wife and daughter, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I guess Amanda. But she's yeah, she's only in like the one scene, really. Yeah, you're, you're definitely right. And I think, you know, I, I liked how they used Amanda later on um, because she was a very surprising antagonist, I think. 
Um, but but yeah, it's a very male dominated uh, sort of film, isn't it? In terms of like, you know, it's pitting men against each other and like angry male detective. But that doesn't bother me too much. You yeah, know, I think I think in terms of the context of the film, it did make a lot of sense. Yeah, it feeds into the whole masculinity and pride yeah, and all that, lovely. like the ego and that kind of thing. Uh, I do think it's interesting that, and my wife actually pointed this out when we were watching it, that uh, Amanda is the only, I believe, the only woman we see in a game in this movie and also the only one to escape except for Gordon. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I, I don't know if that's maybe maybe Juan and Juanel were like, maybe we should make the woman, that the, the, the character that escapes a woman. So that mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe they like it's more upsetting for viewers if it's a woman that gets dist- killed mm-hmm. by this man. I'm not sure exactly what their rationale is, but clearly by the sequels they don't give a shit because <laughs> it's just like <laughs> yeah. they're like, all right, we've got uh, we've got a built-in audience now. Let's just go for it um, because then yeah, all hell breaks loose uh, in, in the other ones. And uh, so then we have that big confrontation culminating and in. Uh, in Gordon slicing his leg off and and I guess crawling out. That's the other thing, too. Then I love the other movies uh, explain. I think it's the last one or seven maybe explains it uh, mm-hmm. that he cauterized his leg because you're like you're watching the movie and, and there's a certain futility that makes his uh, story even more tragic that you're watching this dude who's like completely drained of life on his face uh, and mm-hmm. his his foot is sitting in the corner, which again, you see kind of shriveled up in seven. I actually watched the YouTube clip for um, the very last scene in seven to sort of refresh that you see, he yeah. looks over and sees like his shriveled foots kind of sitting there near the oh, chain um, <laughs> because it's been there for years at that point. And mm. uh, you're watching him kind of, it's like, I'm going to go get help. And as a viewer, you're like, you're thinking to yourself, I don't really think you're going to get very far. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you're going to make it, especially you're going to be like crawling with, while blood is like a trail of blood leaving behind you. I don't know how that would work, but then they do explain that in seven that he, he got cauterized his, his leg on a, like a, you know, a steel beam or whatever, a steel pipe. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, Jigsaw sort of retrofitted him and recruited him and stuff. So were you one of the many saw fans like me who were kind of always wondering if they were going to bring Gordon back or did you sort of hope that they would just leave it alone at that point? Yeah, because I think he's one of my favorite characters in the sense that, you know, his story was such an integral part of the first film. And like you say, there's that kind of silly, almost, how is he going to crawl for help? Where did he go? You know, what are the logistics of this bathroom? Where exactly is he? You know, and I think I think a lot a lot of fans, you know, us included, wanted to know what happened to him. And, you know, I'm a little disappointed they did wait till seven. I don't know if it was, you know, something to do with Carrie's schedule or something. I'm not quite sure why they left it that long. Um, but it was really cool to see him back. And especially like what he does to Hoffman is like the best thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that like dramatic moment when like he locks Hoffman in there and like throws the saw out so he can't use it. Um, <laughs> and you're like, yes. <laughs> and it's like an amazing moment, you know, and it was very fitting that Gordon was the one to do it, I think. Yeah. Now he picks up the saw and he's he, and he like he kind of kicks it away from him, picks it up and throws it out. And of course, the movie was also Saw 3D, so it, they, he throws it out directly at the camera, sort of in slow motion, swinging towards the camera. And he's like, "I don't think so." And then he's the one that says, "Game over." I, I love that. So good. That yes. that was like I don't love I I don't particularly care for Seven very much as a movie, but the, all the Gordon stuff is basically the the highlight of it. I would say. I think, yeah, Seven was all right. I think 
you know, is a guy called Bobby Gordon, the guy who like lies about like being tested by him, I think. Yeah, um, I think so. All about him. And, you know, it's sort of like, oh, you know, I, I've written a memoir about me, like escaping Jigsaw. And it's kind of like bleeding heart, you know. Right. Um, and I kind of I almost like the kind of twisted sort of comeuppance, you know, like, oh, you survived this trip, this air trap, huh? So like, let me put you in it and see if you can survive it. Right. Exactly. I like that aspect of it. But you're right. The rest of it was just filler. And I didn't. Yeah, it was a bit bit unnecessary. There's that support group for Jigsaw survivors that I think that includes Gordon, but I believe there's a couple other people from previous movies in there too. So oh, I, 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 did, <laughs> I do, I do like that the, the continuity that they're like, Hey, you, you, you know, you're the, um, <laughs> the black lady, the black woman who, who cuts her arm off, I think to escape that, that one trap. And I don't even know mm-hmm. which one that was anymore. Four or five. It, they all kind of pun yeah. intended bleed together past, mm-hmm. I'd say, yeah, like two or three. Then they're just like, yeah, I don't know, four, five, six, who knows? That's they're all the kind of the, the same deal. Um, so I is before we, you know, before I ask one more question about the franchise, is there anything about the original Saw that we haven't covered that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? I don't think so. I mean, I'm really happy we did the puppet, and I can't believe that. Like, I'm it took a while to get to the puppet. This, yeah, I'm gonna listen back to this and be like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> um, but no, I, mean, I think we've touched on, you know all the important things about it and the puppet and Amanda. So yeah, I think I'm happy. Awesome. Uh, so my last question is about spiral from the book of saw oh, that yes. apparently is supposed to come out. I think obviously now because of the pandemic, um, mm. it got pushed to 2021. So we have Darren Lynn Bozeman who did two, three and four coming back to direct for the first time. I think since then, uh, yeah. start, you know, Chris Rock and, and Sam Jackson, uh, starring, are you hopeful this is going to be a return to form? Do you think it's going to be another Jigsaw esque uh, cash grab? What are your kind of your thoughts on uh, on the studio trying to bring Saw back to its former glory? I think, like my expectations for it, I would like it to be almost like a spin off, mm-hmm. so not like in the same universe because I think we've just had too much. You know, I mean, we've spoken for like over an hour about the franchise, but I'm sure we could have spoken for more because there's so much that happens. Right. So, you know, I I would prefer them to almost go down like a, you know, kind of like how you have the MCU and there's different like strands of the MCU. I would almost like it to sort of do its own thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I I saw the trailer for it and I was like, this, this doesn't look terrible, but it doesn't look like the soul that I know and love. So I guess that I would prefer to see a fresh take on it, if that makes sense. Well, the the thing is, do, so do you want it to be, do you want it to not connect to the other eight movies or you want it to be like completely like a reboot? Like, how would you want it to, because the question, the problem is that the other eight yeah. movies, you have one or one original Jigsaw killer and then everyone else just kind of continuing his work. So then the, the conundrum you end up in, if you're going to continue the franchise is John Kramer is dead. So you either have another apprentice or a copycat. Which which route would you prefer that Spiral takes? I think Copycat would be good, right? Because that's fresh. We've yeah. seen a lot of apprentices and, you know, it, it wouldn't necessarily be good, but I would at least admire them for trying the Copycat route because I feel that that's at least different. And I think Copycat killers, if they're written well, can be quite a compelling thing to watch. Mm-hmm. So I'd be open to watching that, certainly. But, you know... Like I say, I saw the trailer and I just thought, you know, in terms of how it looked and in the tone and in the acting, it was very different to what we're used to. So I don't know. I would I want to like it. Like, I, I, you know, I take no joy in bashing things. It's just that, you know, we, we've seen so much of Saw now that it has to be something 
very different, I think, to impress me. And, you know, the other movies got so, as we sort of mentioned, convoluted. And, and mm-hmm. he, he was then planning things out like many years past when he was dead. He's like, I had this game lined up long before I, you know, I was even, you know, <laughs> I was put in this situation or whatever. And it's just it's like a what? it's like a Jenga stack or, or something. It's like you can only pile that up so high before it comes crashing down. So mm-hmm. I, I feel like you're I think you're you're right. I think the better the better thing is to just all right, we'll just start a new a new story over here. And this will be chapter one of that story, not chapter nine of the other story from twenty <laughs> years ago. Uh you know, you just run into that issue. And I think doing a copycat thing is is probably a better route. Because if mm-hmm. you reboot it, then the hardcore fans will be complaining that, oh, you're just yeah. remaking it or whatever. And if, if you acknowledge that John Kramer existed, but now someone else is like you know what? That's a good idea. I should teach some people some <laughs> lessons and just kind of roll with it from there. I think that that's probably the best way to go uh, going forward. But I'm definitely curious to see. I'm definitely more curious to see Spiral than I was to see Jigsaw. Let's put it that Me way. Me too. Me too. Uh, and I think I I love Darren Darren Lynn Boseman. I think he's really good. You know, um, I love um, a, a weird musical he did years ago called um, Repo the Gen- Genetic Opera. That oh, was yeah. a brilliant film. Love that. Um, and I think. I trust him with it because, you know, the, his his films that he directed in the Saw franchise, I quite I quite liked, you know, versus other directors. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think I think the spiral sort of like um, tagline is something like from the book of Saw. So I hope, like you said, it's going to go through an entirely different chapter and not an extension of of the original. But I suppose we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. It'd be a Saw cinematic universe starting <laughs> yeah. now with Spiral. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, Lucy Buglis, can you tell people where they can find you on social media? Yes, I can. So um, on, I'm mainly active on Twitter. So that's um, LGTH blog um, on Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for bringing the Saw franchise to the table. This was a lot of fun to uh, to discuss and revisit. It almost makes me want to go back and watch two and three again. I haven't seen them mm-hmm. in years. And I think the first three do function as a pretty solid horror trilogy. And then, you know, it sort of goes off the deep end a little bit. But uh, but yeah, this was a good opportunity to go back and rewatch that and introduce my wife to the first one. And, <laughs> I'm so uh, sorry for your wife. <laughs> <laughs> no, she actually enjoyed it. It stuck oh, with her a little bit. The next morning, she was like, yeah, I was thinking about that movie because it, it, it has the psychological bent. Those are the ones that, I think those are the ones that she finds interesting, but also the ones that ups- disturb her more just because okay. the, you know, they do get inside your heads in a way that like, you know, a slasher movie wouldn't traditionally do. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, she did generally enjoy the movie. So I- I'm glad I showed her at, l- at least this one, because for anybody listening and they haven't seen saw the first one because of the air quotes, torture porn uh, reputation of the franchise. I do think this movie does not embody that at all. And I, I did, I, Wood can recommend it as a uh, a kind of a, a classic horror, like a must-see in the vein of Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It, it, all of those franchises, this is definitely one that people that have avoided because of their reputation uh, should give it, a, give it a shot, at least the first one, and then, you know, incrementally from there, I guess, is sort of our advice. Yeah, definitely. I think and the beauty of, of the first Saw is you can just watch that and then be done with it. Yeah, you know, exactly. It has a very good ending that you could just enjoy it and go, oh, that was a cool m- movie and not watch the rest of them. So, 
Yeah, no cliffhanger. That's that's what the other ones. Everything is a cliffhanger, pretty much, when you get to the the sequels. <laughs> Everything's yeah, stringing exactly. along to the next to the next mystery. But Lucy, this was a blast, and uh, we will definitely have to bring you back on at some point. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Thanks, Lucy. If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com/guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs>